Our 100th episode is coming up on March 12th and we're doing a giveaway. Yes, and to enter, go ahead on the giveaway post, tag three friends who aren't already following us, and then if you want to enter a second time for a bonus entry for this giveaway, go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel and then send us a direct message with your YouTube username so we can keep track and enter you in for that bonus entry. Yep, for third place, we're gonna be giving away a coffee gift card and stickers. For second place, we're gonna give away a third place prize plus a CCNC mug and t-shirt. And then for first place, we're gonna give away all of that plus a pour over uh, machine made by our friend Matthew that has our logo on it and a coffee hangout with me, you, and Tyler. Make sure you go and you enter for this great contest. Yes, you don't want to miss it. We'll be announcing the winner on the 100th episode on March 12th. This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast designed to help equip Christians to be able to defend their faith and be confident in their faith. Hi, welcome to Christ, Culture, and Coffee. I'm Robbie Lashua, and I'm here with my friend Brian Fergus. Uh, Tyler is not here today because he started a new job, and there's this thing called training, and he had to be at it, so I don't know what the deal is with that. But he'll be back next week uh, as we interview somebody else. But for the month of February, what we're doing is we're interviewing people we really like. Hey, how about that? Dare I say love? Because uh, it's the month of love, and so we want to show love to people we love, and we want to expose our audience to a lot of neat things that are going on in apologetics and in theology. And so we're really excited that you're here I'm with us today. I'm glad to be Brian. here. I really yep. am. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. So um, just for our viewers, Brian uh, was a professor of mine when I was an undergrad a while ago. <laughs> he taught some classes for me. He is the executive pastor at Calvary Phoenix. He is the president of Mission Bible Institute. Right. He was the director of the doctoral program at Phoenix Seminary. Yeah. You've done a lot of things. I have. Yeah, and that's I have. Really I've been around the block. Yeah, you've been around the block, and that's, and that's, that's, that's not bad. But right. Brian, one of the things, and I didn't tell you about this before, Uh-oh. but I do want to put you on the spot. Okay. Um, one of the things with our show is we always give a coffee tip, right? That's kind oh. of like our thing, Christ Culture and Coffee. Yeah. And so whenever we have a guest on, we ask them, okay. number one, do you like coffee? Love it. Thank you. Absolutely. Because that means you're an actual <laughs> Christian. That's yeah. great. And number two, what's your favorite kind of coffee drink? Oh, man. My favorite kind of coffee drink is uh, just straight up uh, donut shop coffee from my Keurig. Yeah. With a little bit of half and half, no sugar. Nice. Just half and half and coffee. That's great. Yeah, yeah I like That's that. My favorite. That's so, awesome. Okay, yeah. good. We heard it here. Hey. Keurig is all right. Keurig's it, fine. It, it is. You know, a lot of people are snobby. About no, it. I'm busy. I need a Keurig. Well, that's the thing. It's so efficient and <laughs> right. it's quick, and there's not a lot of cleanup. Right. Yeah, it's very nice. Right. So cool. Thanks for sharing that with us. Well, today um, we have you here to talk about something really, I think, unknown. Yeah. In the Christian world, and I think it's a huge, huge topic that we want to discuss. Okay. Analytic theology. Right. So you wrote your dissertation. I did. On analytic theology and catechesis, right? I did. How to teach it, how to use it for teaching in the church. Right, right. So can you kind of walk us through what is analytic theology, yeah. why would it be helpful, and how can we utilize it? Absolutely. Is it okay if I tell a little bit about my story of getting yeah. exposed to this? Because analytic theology, is a, it's a relatively new discipline. Mm. I, think, I think the very first time uh, the term analytic theology was used was only like 2009. Okay. So that's, you know, that's not that long ago. No. Really. 
And um, I w- have been a Christian, you know, since I was 10 years old, and I'm old now because I was your professor. <laughs> um, and I remember uh, I, I came to a point in my uh, walk with the Lord where I realized that, you know, conventional theology could take me so far. that mm-hmm. could answer certain questions. There were gaps between okay. uh, theological topics. And so... Uh, a friend of mine, who's a friend of ours, Manny Cota, yeah. put some books in my hands that uh, turned out were books, uh, you know, were analytic theology books that approached theology with uh, the concerns of a, an analytic philosopher, mm-hmm. you know, concerned about logic and all those kinds of things. And that's essentially what analytic theology is. It's doing, it's a, it's a, it's a way of doing theology that. Uh, approaches it with the concerns and the uh, methods of, uh, like, an analytic philosopher. Okay. A lot of people probably don't know what analytic philosophy is. Well, that's the thing, is. yeah. What's yeah. analytic so philosophy? So analytic philosophy is um, it's an approach to philosophy that uh, is very uh, logically rigorous. Okay. Like, they adhere to the, the formal rules of logic. Okay. And this is where... Almost the mathematics, right? In fact, sometimes you will find in analytic philosophy and even in analytic theology, you'll find what's called symbolic logic, where mm. you know it looks like a mathematical formula. Yeah, to, yeah I've read to, books on that. It's, it's mind-boggling. Yeah, I don't yeah. get it. But, <laughs> but anyway, so, um, so I got interested in it. Um, I started reading quite a bit of analytic theology. Some of the some of the better-known uh, authors are people like Oliver Crisp or uh, Jerry Walls. Mm-hmm. I started reading their theology, and because I'm a teacher and a preacher, I started realizing that the kinds of moves they were making in communicating the truth, mm-hmm. that those might be actually helpful moves to make when preaching and teaching. Okay. And... Um, and then I realized um, that what we are dealing with out there now is an incredibly skeptical culture. Yes. I read the Barna report, uh, The Bible in America, a few years ago, and it talks about um, just the level of biblical literacy in the church, so mm. not only in the church, in the culture, and, and how uh, people in the, the church don't necessarily just take the Bible as, as truth. Sure. Uh, most of them do, but not all of them, mm-hmm. and that seems to follow generational lines. So I realized that in my preaching, what I was doing was, you know, once upon a I've been preaching for 30 years, man. Wow. I know. I don't look that old. But Since I, the 80s? Yeah. Like, wow. Yeah. No. I don't look that old. <laughs> um, and, and I realized, like, early on, I would just be, you know, the Bible says this, the Bible says this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I started noticing in my teaching that, um, I don't know if it was just instinctual, but uh, hopefully it was the Holy Spirit. Yeah. But um, I started like adding things like, well, you might wonder, okay, why is mm. this true? Or why, why does this matter? And I found myself like proving things. Yeah. Instead more. of saying, thus saith the Lord, right. I'm going to give you reason. Exactly. Okay. That's what analytic theology does. Okay. And so I incorporated it into my teaching. And figured out that I could do a dissertation project. That's it. awesome. And it was uh, it was fun. No, yeah. that is so great. Well, and again with apologetics, right? And that's what we're an apologetics podcast. Yeah. And and we're always talking about how apologetics is interdisciplinary, meaning um, 
that apologetics, you can use archaeology right, right. for apologetics, and you can use science right. for apologetics, and you can use history and manuscript evidence and things like that, and right. theology, but also philosophy right. is a huge aspect of apologetics. And so there's all of these different disciplines right. that kind of converge, and you, you really can specialize in any type of, mm-hmm. of discipline for an apologetic. Right. Um, and so with this, I think that this is fascinating because what you're saying is you're applying the rules of analytic philosophy to how you feed your flock. Right. Right? Right. So you're, you're, you're preaching and they're, they're gaining life application from it. Right. But they're also getting, I'm forming an apologetic mm-hmm. because you're saying now, you might, someone might say or a skeptic might say or you exactly. might hear and you're helping them to think through the objections that might come. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. what I call uh, answering the what about questions. Okay. Right? Because I think there are a lot of people sitting in the, you know, the proverbial pews today who are listening to a message, mm-hmm. and they're saying, yeah, but what about this? Mm-hmm. And uh, the preacher isn't responding, right? Because, you know, they're not Yeah, they're not verbalizing. The right, yeah. exactly. <clears throat> but, but what I try to do is anticipate those kinds of concerns. Okay. Anticipate the yeah, but what about Okay, so that I know questions. what you're thinking. Yeah, now you think. might think, you okay. might be thinking, but what about this? Mm. That's a move that analytic theologians make on purpose. They consider okay. uh, objections to their positions oh, okay. and address them. And it's not, um, you know, it's not like setting up a straw man argument to knock it down. It's, okay, uh, okay here's what I think it is. Now, here's my weaknesses. <laughs> And I think maybe you could resolve this weakness this way, this way, or this way, mm-hmm. right? Okay. And and so... Um, you know what's interesting about that mm-hmm. is that, don't you see James do that in the book of James? Now, someone will say... Exactly. And then Paul does Paul that too. Paul does it as well. Yeah. So this isn't, it's not like a new thing. No, no. Maybe it's just something we lost no. and we need more. I think it's a practice James picks up mm. from the rabbis. I think it's a practice Paul picks up from the philosophers. Mm. Okay. Where he's he's answering potential objections. Yeah, which right. is great, which is helpful, right? Instead right. of just pretending like these objections aren't there. Right. So I look really good. We say, no, let's engage. We, yeah. Even that move is allowing people to see that it's okay for disagreement to come. Yeah. And we can think about it. Not right. let's just pretend or let's just sweep it under the yeah. rug or let's just have more faith. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I Here's what I think in, in this culture. I think that if we don't stop and consider the potential objections that people, even Christians, have mm-hmm. to the arguments that we're making or the, 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 the truth we're trying to teach, maybe on issues of sexual ethics or whatever. We don't stop and answer uh, those whatabouts. Here's what's happening. Um, in our sermons, we are answering questions that nobody is asking. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like in the culture, this, you know, in the early centuries, blah, blah, blah. And, and like nobody really wants a history lesson. They want to know how to make it through tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think we have to uh, answer those kinds of what about questions. That's so great because we, Tyler and I talk about this a lot is with apologetics, you, you learn so much stuff. Right. And you want to just throw it up on somebody whenever you get a chance, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is yeah. the danger. Yeah. But my my wife can tell you all about that. <laughs> sure. Yeah, <I'm> sure. <laughs> but one of the one of the issues that you run into is the one of my biggest fears with apologetics is answering questions that the person's not asking right. me. Right. Because you know, you feel like, well, what you really should have asked was and let yeah. me th- take let four me hours you of your time. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so I, I agree with that. Like you have people at church for, you know, what, half hour, forty five minute sermon. Right. 
what are you going to deliver to them without them asking questions? So you have right. to do the work to anticipate right. what are they going through? What are they thinking about? What's the common yeah. cultural milieu out there? And how can I right. speak into that in my 30 to 45 minute right. thing? Yeah. If, if you don't, you're not building up the body of Christ. Yeah. You're uh, entertaining mm-hmm. people or you're helping them meet some kind of spiritual obligation they feel the need to go to church once a week yeah. to, you know, yeah. appease no, some kind of guilt or whatever. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. Hmm. So so what are, like, because you developed, like, I mean, you're, you're, you won't say this about yourself, but you're kind of, like, groundbreaking, <laughs> developing, okay, so some people do this thing called analytic theology, yeah. but you kind of wrote, here's the rules of what it is. Yeah. Right? I kind well, I, my project was, um... More of compiling. Okay, uh, this person says this is what it is. This other person says this is what it is, and I had to actually read everything that everybody said and mm-hmm. say, okay, here are the the things that show up in more than two or three places. Okay, and and so wh- I probably didn't do the best job of explaining it earlier. But what analytic theology does is it it uses the tools of philosophy to ad- address uh, our Christian doctrines that are typically the confusing doctrines, okay. like how does this Trinity thing work? Mm. You know, we we say we worship one God, but there's Father, Son, Spirit. How how is that yeah. one God? Or um, eschatology is a big issue for analytic theologians. If God is good, why is there hell? You know, those kinds of things. And so what analytic theology does is it goes, uh, it relies on Scripture. There's revelational control, so it relies on Scripture. But what it does is it it, it tries to answer those questions between the, the, you know, the the lines of Scripture. Like, um, okay, well, if God is good, why is there a hell? And Mm -hmm. and, and let's let's address that. Let's talk about that. What are the... Implications and those are questions that. people want to know, right? They are, I mean, that's like I a think. huge deal. Yeah. They are. And and so that's kind of what analytic theology is trying to do. It's trying to make sense of confusing doctrines. I can okay. tell you there's a trinity. Sure. And the Bible says it, and you have to believe it. Mm-hmm. And you do. Yeah. But if you're um, a person who, uh, you know, where faith needs to make sense to you, Analytic theology is trying to make sense. It's giving you a why behind what. Yeah, idea. exactly. That's and, awesome. And I need that. I'm that. I'm sure. wired that way. I'm a faith-seeking, understanding guy, not just mm-hmm. a having faith person. And so um, that's why it was so attractive to me as a discipline. Uh, so yeah, what I did was I, I compiled all of the the uh, characteristics of. Uh, or the methodological moves of analytic theology, and okay. uh, I can explain some of those. There's, there's like seven of them. Okay, yeah. Um, but the first one that analytic theology theologians, uh, the first method they use when doing theology is um, a commitment to clarity. Okay. Now, let me explain what clarity means, because uh, it doesn't mean the same thing to everybody. Like, if you and I were just talking about clarity, we would probably think in terms of uh, making sure we're easily understood. Yes, that's not what philosophers mean. Okay. They mean being upfront about assumptions and rational moves. Okay, so more of like I'm transparent about my presupposition. Exactly. Okay. So like if I'm preaching out of the Gospel of John, I might say, uh, "Now I just want you to know 
that I believe that the Gospel of John accurately records the words of Jesus. Okay, so there's the rule before there's, we start. I'm going to start with that. Okay. I'm not going to prove that. I'm just yeah, going to start with that. I'm assuming that's that. true. And you have to do that with a lot of things. Yeah, I think you do. Yeah, whenever you're going to, yeah. Right. That makes sense. So there's that. There's also um, logically rigorous argumentation. These guys, this is, I think, probably the defining characteristic, just this commitment to logic that we were kind of talking about earlier mm-hmm. with even symbolic logic. Like, they, they will, will really make sure that they're following the formal rules of logic. There's no fallacies occurring. No fallacies. Okay. And, you know, and I got to be honest with you, <laughs> that is an area that I had to bone up in. Sure. Uh, because I, I never had a class in logic. Mm. And so I had to read books on it to, just to make sure I understood all of the rules and the mm-hmm. fallacies. And, um, and so they'll, they'll do th- I mean, here's just a, like a ridiculous example, like uh, uh, they'll use logical syllogisms you know, okay. to prove a point. A syllogism, uh, just a ridiculous example, I would say uh, uh, all mammals are warm-blooded. I would start as my foundational premise. My secondary premises would be dogs are mammals. Okay. My conclusion would be therefore dogs are warm blooded. Sure. Right? Yeah. And so yeah, they yeah, yeah. but that's how they would lay out their the, argument. The syllogism, yeah. Exactly. And there's a lot of apologetics. well, because a lot of apologetics is philosophical. Right. We have that kind of a thing. Like, you know, the cosmological argument. If the universe began to exist, right. you know, everything that has a beginning had a cause. Right. The universe began, therefore the universe has a cause. Exactly. The, and that's syllogism. Yeah. 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 Definitely. It's a philosophical thing, though. Right. Theologians don't typically no, do no, that. No, they don't. Yeah. They, they don't. And they don't do and this. they should. They should. But they, but they don't. They're just sloppy. No. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they don't do this next one either. And this is kind of a British term. Uh, we don't use it so much, but parsimony. Or my, my Brit friends say parsimony. Um, but they say a lot of things weird. Uh, parsimony <laughs> of expression. And, and we would use... Uh, maybe a different uh, phrase. We would say something like uh, clearly defined words. Okay, for just instance, defining your terms. Yeah, making sure that your terms are defined. Uh, okay. Oliver Crisp's book, uh, The Word in Flesh, which I think is a really great example of uh, analytic theology. He spends some time talking about the two natures argument, that Jesus is fully God, fully human. We believe that, right? Mm-hmm. But he makes sure that everybody understands what he's talking about. By the two natures argument, okay. I mean this, okay. so that we're all on the same page. Before he goes to explain all this exactly. stuff, using that term, you really got to know what I mean by this. Yeah, exactly, because okay. we could be just talking and around And that kind of goes other. even into clarity a little bit, right? Like, I'm being up front with my terms. Exactly. Okay. Exactly, yeah. They dovetail. That makes uh, a lot of sense. That's helpful, right? Right. Because you could totally read a book and not understand the one word that's the main <laughs> exactly. word, and you won't know what they're talking about. Exactly. Sure. Precision of argumentation is a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um We've already talked about answering objections. That's a big thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, dividing big problems into small ones. Uh, dealing with individual aspects of a doctrine before you build a theology of okay. something. That's smart, right? Yeah, I think it is. And then finally, revelational control. That's okay. The Bible is our control on this. Mm. Um, it's got to be um, scripturally sound. The models that we develop, the theories that we develop mm-hmm. have to stand up. To scripture. That makes sense. Now, I think it was, you might find this interesting. I, early on in the discipline, people were saying, well, you're just doing apologetics. 
Well, because it's kind of yeah. There's aspects of that that happen in apologetics right. because a lot of apologetics is analytic philosophy. Right. That's it, what. It yeah. Is. So sure. Yeah. It there's is. crossover. Yeah. And analytic theologians would say, no, 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 no. We're doing theology. We're building a theology of well, let's say the doctrine of hell or whatever. Mm-hmm. But what I thought as I was looking at everything they were doing is, you know, I could use these methodological moves and preach more apologetically, yes. which I think is what our culture needs. Yes. And so analytic theology isn't apologetics, mm-hmm. but it has application to that makes sense. apologetics. It's a, yeah. it's a method for doing it. When I started my dissertation project, uh, I looked for... Um, any resources I could find on uh, using analytic theology in a teaching ministry. Okay. And there was nothing. Mm-hmm. So that's why my, my dissertation was the, the first thing written yeah. on that. And yet nobody cares. Nobody wants to read well, it. It's, <laughs> it's such a new, it's such a new it discipline, though. It and is. it's almost like, you know, because like I said, we were on that reading group together, and it was uh-huh. basically, hey, can you guys try to figure out what analytic theology is? And you then did a dissertation on yeah. it. But I remember sitting there in this reading group, and we would read these books, and it's like, it just seems like yeah. theology, or it just seems like philosophy right. done right. to doctrine. Um, and there's so many different, you know, the word theology, right? Study right. of God. There's so many different ways to go about it. Right. But, you know, sometimes the systematic approach to theology is Bible verse compilation. Right. That's what that Here's is. Here's what the Bible says about this. About this topic, yeah. right? And then there's and biblical then, theology, which mm-hmm. is going through time or a certain book and says right. what this one book author. talks about like this. Right. Yeah, or an author. Yeah. Um, so I, I kind of see it in the venue of that. It's like, well, we're doing philosophical theology, Right. <laughs> right. right, and we right. the Bible's our control, uh-huh. and we're very clear with our terms. Um, and and we've seen examples of people doing this in the past, right? Like, yeah. wouldn't you say Thomas Aquinas did yeah, something these like guys, this? These guys, uh, the analytic theologians that uh, I have uh, spoken with and encountered, um, they they trace their roots back to people like uh, Thomas mm-hmm. or uh, Anselm. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yep. And then they move forward in history, and and uh, they're all huge Jonathan Edwards fans. Okay. Because they they look at what he was doing mm-hmm. as uh, they, they call him often a proto analytic theologian because he okay. was he was using uh, philosophical controls. Mm. In fact, part of my project, um, so I had to prove that these best practices of analytic theology would could be useful in preaching and teaching in the mm-hmm. church. Uh, and so I had to prove that, and, and my move to prove that was actually to look through, read through uh, several of Jonathan Edwards' sermons, and, uh, and I chose one sermon in particular, and tried to find all of those practices that we just talked about oh, that's cool. in that sermon. Yeah. And I did. Wow. He was doing this kind of thing, you know, back in the, yeah. the Great Awakening. And, that's crazy. Uh, so, yeah. That's pretty neat. I think so. Yeah, so it's not like a new thing necessarily. It just hasn't been done in a while right. or defined right. like this. Right. So can you give us, because I've seen, I've seen you do this, but can, <coughs> can you give me. us an example of, okay, so you've got what it is and the rules to guide you. Can you give us an example of you doing this yeah. in a sermon? Yeah. Uh, one, one of the... So I... So, 
the other thing I had to do to prove that these practices could actually be useful in a sermon wasn't, I couldn't just point to like an 18th century preacher and say, <laughs> sure. hey, that guy did it a couple hundred years ago. I had, yeah. to, I had, to, I had to construct something, and so I did. I, uh, I took the doctrine of assurance of salvation, okay. which I think uh, makes a lot of Christians nervous. I think a lot of people struggle with... Uh, their assurance of salvation. If yeah. if I'm really a Christian, why do I still struggle with this mm. after so many years? Sure. Uh, if I'm really a Christian, why do I still have these kinds of thoughts after so many years? And so what I did was I took um, you know the primary passages on assurance of salvation in Scripture out of 1 John, and, uh, and then I took the Westminster Confession. Mm-hmm. And the Westminster Confession, I think it's chapter 18... Uh, talks about how uh, there are three things that, that we can really rely on for uh, to know whether or not we're really saved. Okay. One of those things is the promises of God. Um, I'm not using their words. I'm just using sure. promises of God. Um, the inner testimony of the Spirit hmm. they'll talk about. Okay. And then they'll talk about our behavior. As the three things we can look to for assurance. Those are the three things that we can look to for evidence that we are saved, right? So okay. God tells us we're saved if we do this, that, and the other thing. So we can, you know, I feel saved because the Spirit, Spirit. is testifying. Yep. Um, and I act saved. Okay. So I wrote a sermon called uh, Consider the Source. And what I was trying to do was just to determine the reliability of our behavior okay. as evidence of our salvation. Is it a good measure? Is it yeah, a good barometer right. to my assurance? And then what I did was I went through the scripture and talked about how, you know, Romans 7, Paul, well, it says, you know, I don't do the things I want to do. I do the things that I don't want to do. You mm-hmm. know? So even the apostle had some behavioral issues. Yeah. I made my point from scripture that our behavior as followers of Jesus isn't always... In line with the will of God. Sure, and everybody right? who's a Christian would say, yes, yes that's, right. that's the truth. So maybe my behavior doesn't have as much weight of evidence as the promises of God do when it comes mm. to my assurance. Okay. So what I've done is I've taken a little piece of the doctrine, yep. how my behavior impacts my understanding of my assurance of salvation, mm-hmm. and weighed how reliable my behavior is as evidence okay. using logic, all those, those yeah. kinds of things. So that, that, and so, you know, I preached that sermon, because I'm not going to write a sermon I don't preach. I'm, you know, efficient. And, <laughs> and people um, experience uh, a sense of relief knowing that their salvation isn't always 100% dependent upon their behavior. Sure. Now, we know that, right? Yeah, we sure, know we know that. We know what Scripture says. But we get nervous about it. Yeah. And so hopefully, you know, those kinds of moves help people. That's great. No, that's so helpful. I remember, too, like you even, um, because I saw you present that. I think Mm -hmm. it was after you preached it, but it was at a conference. Right, And you said how, okay, what about the inner testimony of the Spirit? Yeah. And you said, that's that's better than behavior. Right. But we're still a factor in that. Yeah, human beings are still interpreting (laughs) the inner testimony. And we we don't get things right. No, we, do, we mess up. Yeah, it's not the Spirit's fault. No. It's my fault. Right. Yeah, so the best is God's promises. The best evidence of our salvation is God's promises. And he says if we believe in him, we're saved. 
And so that's yeah. where we go. And we can be assured of that. And right. nothing can take us out of the Father's hand. Amen. I love, I'd like your, I mean, this is a little rabbit trail, I guess, that's but okay. you know how in Romans where Paul says, um, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Right. Speaking to Christians, mm-hmm. right? The church at Rome. And then he lists all this stuff, angels, right. demons, powers, blah, blah, blah. Right. He, he says um, things present mm-hmm. or things to come. Right. And nobody ever talks about that. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> And I've always thought, and maybe this isn't what he was getting to, but I've always thought, you know, one of the things I know for sure is to come in my life is more sin. Yes. And that can't separate me. No. From the love of God. No. Um, So even then, looking to the behavior, right? right? It's That's a bad barometer for all of this based on what Scripture says. It is. There's a kind of a controversial Christian author. He's passed away within the past several years, named Brennan Manning. Mm. And uh, I read one of his books years ago, early 90s, and he makes the point in this book, um, it blew my mind, that God actually expects us to sin more than we do. Hmm. Now, the ex- okay. what he meant by that was this. We were out there living for Jesus, and uh, we're expecting ourselves to grow, and we think, yeah, I'm going to get it right today. Yeah. And God knows what's actually going to happen, right? <laughs> sure, of course. He knows yeah. we're not. Yeah. And we think, you know, we're going to get it right, and I'm eventually, you know, sometime in my mid-30s, I'm going to be done with this sin yeah, thing. Yeah, right. And then there's new stuff. And, then there, and God knows how much we're going to sin. We yes. actually think that we can We think get better it right. of ourselves. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. That's so, so true. So the idea being that, you know, our sins never actually surprise him. Mm. Yeah, you know? I'd agree with that. Or disappoint him, because disappoint is just the other side of surprise, right? And I'm not saying mm-hmm. that he, I'm not saying that God doesn't care that we sin. I'm just saying yes. he's not, he's not like, oh, you did what? No, he, he knows knew what's what we were going to yeah, do. Yeah, he knew. Right. Yes. Absolutely. That's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. That's so great. And he still makes the promises. Yes. Fully aware. Fully aware. Of the things I'm not fully aware he of. He said yes to you, however old, you know, many years ago. Yeah. Uh, knowing what you would do, well, and I was knowing thinking, what you'll you know, still do. All of my sin let's to Jesus was sin, future. Bro. Yeah, no. let's talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> but all of it was future to him right. when he died on the cross and right. paid my penalty, right? Um, the other thing I've thought about, it's just fascinating because I came to know the Lord when I was a kid. You know, my mm-hmm. parents and grandparents raised me in a Christian home. And yeah. It made sense to me. Um, most of the sinning I've done in my life has been as a Christian. Yeah. Isn't that fascinating? Well, me too. I mean, I was <laughs> yeah. 10 when I came sure. to the Lord, you know, yeah. and I didn't have, you know, I hadn't robbed any banks no, yet. No, I was no. pretty, I was, I was, uh, you could make the argument I had less sin in yes. my life yes. prior to coming to right. know Christ. And, right. Yeah, so I always think that that's an interesting fact in there too. It is, it is. Where he just, no, past, present, future, all of it right. covered by the blood, and that's a promise. It is. And you can count Absolutely. on it, yep. Much better than looking to your... Uh, your your own performance behavior, yeah, yeah. that's fascinating. So yeah. so people at your church liked it. It worked. I think it helped. So. Yeah, and and, and uh, because like I said, I think assurance of salvation is is I as a pastor, right? So I'm not just an academic. I'm a pastor. Mm-hmm. As a pastor, I get asked about that more than anything. Hmm. My son was a Christian. He followed the Lord. Now he's stumbled into an addiction. Is he still? Yeah, he's still saved. He's right. going to have yeah, sure. So these are these are assurance of salvation issues. It's a big question. Yep. And yeah, I think one of the biggest that people Man, that's great. Yeah. So you think we can apply analytic theology to doctrines like this? Right? I do. Well, and I know you've done this with hell, 
Because yeah. you wrote a book on yeah. hell, right? Yeah, I did. Hell 101. Uh-huh. Brian Fergus. You can get it on Amazon. You <laughs> yep. should buy it. It's What I really liked about it was it was a very great um, uh, kind of survey of popular Christian opinions in a few different areas. Right. But it's readable. Good. Right? And, and one of the things for, for our show is... We, we, we see the demographics who listen and everything, uh-huh. and um, the, the big the big group that we're impacting are um, people between the ages of 18 and 30. Oh, that's great. Right? Yeah. Um, and great. so younger, yeah, it's awesome. Um, but, you know, they, they don't have PhDs in philosophy yeah. to, to read Jerry Wells' book on hell and things yeah, like yeah. that. But your book is is great, and it's true, and it's readable. And so that's what I, I loved about it. <laughs> yeah, and so I, I really encourage our listeners, go on Amazon, buy Brian's book, yeah. Hell 101. It's really short. It's short, yeah. It's not going to take a long time, but it's really going to bring you up yeah. to speed kind of on where the discussion's at and um, seeing mm-hmm. what Scripture says, it's great. Right. So, But you've applied this same the same method to To hell, that issue, right? yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. and we actually... Um, for those of you listening on our Instagram, we have a link tree uh, link that you can click on, and in there it says "Hell Debate," and you can oh, click on that, yeah. and it goes to this uh, debate that Brian and I—not not a debate, but we are a part yeah. of this discussion right. on hell, and you guys can go watch that. Um, but the book is excellent. Oh, thanks. And so man. yeah, I, I thought it was that. really interesting how you're—I just think this is what we should be doing yeah. as pastors and theologians, yeah. right? Is is answering these questions that people have about big issues. Right. Because a lot of people will argue against us. The atheists will say, you believe in a God who's just going to throw people into hell and burn forever. Right. You're a terrible human being for thinking that. It's like, I am a terrible human being for thinking that, right? (laughs) we've thought this through. Yeah. yeah, It it makes sense. It's logical. Well, I think, you know, with like a doctrine like hell, it it can be kind of confusing. If God Mm -hmm. is all loving, why that? Yeah. Um, But I, I have this like understanding of uh, my calling in ministry mm-hmm. that I'm uh, I'm middle management and, okay. and and here's what I mean we have the academy where where people like Jerry Walls and Oliver Crisp and, yeah. and uh, you know William Lane Craig where they're writing stuff mm-hmm. up here and then we have our regular people mm-hmm. who attend our churches you know every, yeah, every yeah. week and there's this big gap between these folks and these folks. I think there need to be people in the middle mm-hmm. who can interact with the academy and understand it and then explain it <laughs> yeah, to people. these guys can't explain No, they it. can't. They <laughs> no, don't know they how can't. to talk yeah. to regular people. That's true. But you know what's interesting? I, I, I had an opportunity a couple of years ago to speak at Fuller Seminary to a group of academics. Mm-hmm. And I, I told them, you need people pastor theologians in the middle who can tell you what the church needs. Oh, you guys direct are just, your studies. Yeah, I, you guys are just up here Interesting. doing whatever you yeah, want to do. You need to do. You need to serve the church. You need to tell the church. Yeah, that but, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so Did they listen to you? I, I think. <laughs> <laughs> they, I hope they, so. they clapped when I was done. Well, that's I They're polite at least, <laughs> They right? were at least polite. That's very good. Like good wow. Christians. No, that's so, so true, though, because there yeah. is. There's, there's the... The popularizers of the ideas, right? People yeah. who can go between. Now, and that's so needed because, yeah, I even in in classes that I've taught and things like I'll I'll prescribe a book that I think's not so yeah here, right? Um, and man, people struggle with it, and I'm like, this isn't even here. <laughs> um, but but then, okay, how do I explain this to you? And I think that that's vital. I remember hearing a story about um, Zane Hodges, uh-huh. a theologian. He taught at Dallas. From Dallas, yeah. Yeah, and he lived in like a one-bedroom apartment his he whole did. life. was never married, right? Yeah, no. And then just... he, he taught sixth-grade boys Sunday school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Forever. 
Right. And I heard somebody ask him one time, why are you doing that? Like, this yeah. seems like a waste in the church. You're this Greek professor. Why don't yeah. you come and teach? And he said, listen, if I can't take the truths of God and explain it to six-year-old boys, well, what am I doing? Exactly. And I think that that is very true. We have to be able to take these things and help right. help everybody understand them and see how it works. Right. And see who God is and, and how it applies to our lives. Right. So that's awesome. Because people have these questions. Yes. Right? And unfortunately, and man, I'll probably get in trouble with some of my pastor friends. Unfortunately, some of some of our pastor friends aren't, you know, even equipped to answer some of these questions That's because very true. It's, you, you have to go a little bit deeper than, you know, uh, the J. Vernon McGee commentary. Yeah. <laughs> well, and unfortunately, like yeah. I, I know people who've walked away from the faith because mm-hmm. they were having a crisis of doubt right. on some issue, right. and they came to their pastor, and their pastor gave a horribly inadequate answer. Yeah. And that made them think Christianity doesn't have answers. It doesn't make sense. I got to go somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I know people that this has happened right. to. And if we were, if, if pastors were better equipped with right. answers, because we do have them, right. I think that we could really help people. Well, but we have these tough doctrines we don't understand, and we don't, and we can give platitude answers. But for instance, this really happened to me. Okay. I had a couple who shall remain nameless. That's good. Um, they came <laughs> to my, uh, office to meet with me. They were concerned about a direction one of their adult kids was taking. Mm. And um, my the only pastoral prescription that I could give them was, well, we just need to pray, mm. you know, because we can't make our adult kids do what we want them to do, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we need to pray about this. Yeah. The wife's response blew me away. She said, well, if God already knows the future, mm-hmm. what are my prayers going to do? Hmm. If God already knows how this is going to pan out. So what she was asking was a deeply philosophical, theological question about yeah. the role of petitionary prayer and how that could yeah. potentially work. With but, God's omniscience. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. And so I think you know we have to dig deep yeah. to be able to say. And my response to her was, well, here's, here's why we pray. Uh, one is because uh, Jesus tells us to. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see Jesus talk about yeah. uh, d- himself pray. He's an example of yeah, someone who prays. Petitionary yeah. prayer. And we actually see <clears throat> petitionary prayer change events in Old Testament stories. Yes. And so I don't know how it works, but it, it does mm-hmm. to a certain extent. So. Yeah. And that's a good answer, right? Was yeah. she appeased with that? Yeah, she was. She okay. was. She was satisfied with it. Right? What if you said, uh, "I don't know"? Um, yeah, yeah. Well, or given bad theology, maybe God doesn't know the future. Or, or <laughs> the, the answer that people usually give is, "Well, prayer isn't isn't really designed to change God's mind. It's designed to change our hearts." Sure. Okay. That's a great bump. I'm going to vomit <laughs> because then yeah. why does prayer change? What God does in the yeah. Old Testament. No, that's it true. It does. Yeah, so. it does. And I mean, it does. There's an aspect where it changes us, but that's just right. A, that's an empty platitude. And I find that the world is full of these empty slogans enough. Yeah. And as Christians, we shouldn't make bumper sticker theology no. a thing, right? No, no, no. And yeah, so I'm I'm with you on that. Yeah. Well, hey, I want to keep continue the discussion. Okay. But right now, I want to uh, let our viewers know about this sign back here that our friend Matthew made at SE Collective, uh, and I just want to read to you this this. Um, ad that that we have for him because we do want you to check out his stuff so there is something special about handcrafted furniture and decor that adds warmth and quality to your home something factory made furniture just can't compare with 
SE Collective Design provides beautiful custom design and built pieces within the greater Phoenix, Arizona area. Each creation is a work of art crafted just for you using wood, metal, or unique combination to truly meet any design needs that you have. Everything from signs to uh, dining tables, they have tons of different things that they can make for you. And they have the tools and the know-how to create one-of-a-kind furnishings. So for more information and to see all of their work, be sure to follow them on Instagram or Facebook or visit their website, secollective.com. SE Collective, custom, quality, and affordable. And Matthew's a really nice guy. And so you should check <laughs> oh, out his stuff. That's it's, a nice sign. Yeah, nice, yeah, yeah really it's pretty cool. sweet, right, with the, yeah. with the metal and everything. Metal? So Yeah. Awesome. It's pretty neat. Yeah. yeah. I would have no idea how to go about making it. Yeah. So I leave it up to the professionals. There you go. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yep. So with... um. With with your with your dissertation on analytic theology, uh-huh. have you seen more people starting to do this in church? No, not necessarily in church. Okay, um, analytic theology as a discipline in and of itself is growing. There are more okay. people jumping in in writing into this in in writing okay. it. Yeah, but in actually taking the methods of analytic theologians and and implementing them. You, you see a few. Mm-hmm. You'll see. I, I think I do see more people answering potential objections. Okay. Uh, which is good. That's great. No, that's great. That's good. My friend Caleb, um, he's not an analytic theologian. He's not an apologist. Mm-hmm. He's a pastor at Desert Springs Bible Church. Okay. And yeah, he, he taught me, uh-huh. uh, when you're preaching, you need to incorporate the phrase, now I know what you're thinking. Right. Now I know what you're thinking. And that's yeah. what you're saying, anticipating the objection. Exactly. So it's a very good method. It's important. It, it if is. People, if people would just do that... Oh, man. Yeah, that'd it, be it would, it would, I think, revolutionize preaching in America. We would stop answering questions nobody's asking mm-hmm. and really wrestle with theirs, right? Yeah. So, yeah, because what... Uh, I better be careful. But <laughs> but what happens... I teach preaching courses, yeah, too. That's true. Yeah, so, yeah, that's true. so, um... Because what happens most of the time is, you know, people get um, uh, a history lesson, mm-hmm. a couple jokes, maybe a heart-tugging story, yeah, and and it it just does not impact mm. uh, the way they live because they don't necessarily see it as being relevant to anyone else's life. Yeah, it's more entertainment right. than it is instruction. Or I'm teaching uh, this week out of <laughs> Colossians. Um, four, five, and six, where Paul talks about how we should talk to outsiders. Oh, okay. And um, and it's an apologetic passage yep. where he's like, you know, make sure you know your faith well enough to be able to answer them, but do it in a gracious way. And um, so I'm explaining that, explaining that, and then saying, so what does this have to do with us? Mm. Well, this is an election year, mm. and we're going to be tempted to be really mean yeah, about whoever yeah. disagrees with us. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so here's how we're supposed to talk to Man, them. now you've just brought it home to. Oh, right, right. Because other people are like, works. oh, be nice to people. Okay. Yeah, but exactly. No, yeah. no. You, in this realm, on social media, you be nice to people. You know, mm-hmm. and so yeah, we, have to, we have to make that uh, leap for people because here's the thing about us human beings we won't make that leap ourselves. Mm. Uh, we'll just listen, walk away, and. Yeah, and, you know, no, if that's we laughed true. or cried, it was a good message. Yeah, how I <laughs> you know? felt about it, yeah, not yeah. what I thought about it. Yeah. yeah, so that's great. No, that's really great. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I hope more and more people will start to do this. Right? Yeah, like, I really hope so as well. Um, I need to talk to more people about it. Yeah, or uh, write a write a popular level book on yeah, how to yeah, I, how yeah. to have impactful preaching. Yeah, I probably need to. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. You, you write a uh, dissertation. 
And uh, when you're done with it, you've dealt with the issue so much, mm -hmm. you're just sick of it. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We just want to put off, it away. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and so I'm coming up on two years out from that, so okay. I probably need to Maybe you can warm something. up to it. Yeah, a yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, to transition the conversation uh -huh. too, so a couple of years ago, you started Mission Bible Institute. Right. And I wanted to tell our listeners, especially because we have a lot of people who live in the area here Good. In, in Arizona, about it and what the vision mm -hmm. for it is and kind right. of what is offered there. Okay. So yeah, just... Why did you start Mission Bible Institute? Well, we uh, Mission Bible Institute was kind of the the vision of myself and my pastor, uh, Mark Martin. And years ago, we had talked about uh, establishing a Bible college. And in 2016, mm -hmm. uh, when we started uh, MBI, it was to answer a, a deal with a couple of needs that we saw. Most of uh, the Christian higher education here in Arizona on the undergrad level is aimed at a pre-seminary track. So okay. um, like the undergrad schools assume that if you're going to be a pastor, you're going to go on to seminary. Okay. And that's great sure. if people can do it. And that's great if people can afford it. But yeah. it is ridiculously expensive. Yeah, I can attest to that. It's yeah. expensive. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Because that's the route I went. And so it, we just became really convicted that people should not have to go into massive debt in order to serve Jesus in a yeah. well-prepared way. That's yeah, I think that's a very good connection. Yeah. yeah so, sure. so what we decided to do, uh, what we decided the Lord was leading us to do, was to establish a Bible institute. And the way we look at uh, uh, MBI, we see it as a um, vocational training institute for pastors and Christian leaders. Okay. It's like it's like a it's like a trade school, you know? There yeah. are schools you go to to learn how to fix air conditioners. Sure. There are schools you go to to learn how to, you know, I don't know. Uh, weld. Weld. Right? There you yeah, go. Yeah. There you go. Fix airplanes, whatever. Exactly. Sure. Right. And so we are that. Uh, we don't teach English or math or, mm -hmm. or, or those kinds of things. Uh, we just uh, try our best to train people to be uh, well-prepared pastors and Christian leaders we do that in a few ways. We have an excellent faculty. Yes, you do have yes. an excellent faculty. That's very true. One of them is Robbie. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, I teach there. I like it. Yeah. But all of our faculty uh, members have uh, grad degrees from ATS uh, accredited schools, Association mm -hmm. of Theological Schools. They have their grad degrees, um, and they're all pastors. Mm. So that they they are not just academicians; they're also pastors. Uh, our Tuition is ridiculously low. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. For credit, it's $50 a credit. Most of our classes are three credits. Mm -hmm. um, Which is cheaper than community college. It's cheap. It is about, it's about half of what a community college costs. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Because none of us are getting rich off this thing. We, no, we just well, that's want, not the goal. No, right? we just want yeah. people to get trained. And so we offer a certificate in biblical studies. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the core classes are, of that are we have a... You know, a course in uh, biblical interpretation or Bible study. We have two Old Testament courses, two New Testament courses, a theology course, and some electives. Mm. So it's a 24-unit, 24-credit uh, program. Um, and then we offer a diploma in biblical leadership and ministry. Mm -hmm. uh, that's another 24 units. You have to get the certificate to go yeah, on. Yeah, it's like a part one, the, part two right, thing. part yeah, one, part sure. two, yeah, exactly. And... Um, 
What's amazing, the, the way the Lord is blessing it, you know, I, I thought when we started it, we're, we're uh, in the second semester of our fourth academic year, mm-hmm. I thought when the Lord started it, you know, maybe if we had 20 students, mm-hmm. we'd be fine. Uh, this semester, we're well over 80 yeah. students. Uh, we are represent, we have students from, you know, I think 11 different churches mm. this semester, some traveling all the way from Payson to yeah, be that's a right. part of this. That's true. And, and, and it's just really exciting. We've had uh, three graduating classes already, um, people in ministry. Some of our grads have been hired by, like, Scottsdale Bible yeah. Church. Um, and it's just, it's just been very encouraging. We also have uh, memorandums of understanding with other colleges we're, we're not moving toward accreditation because we don't want to teach we'd have to math yeah and, all that and we'd have to stuff. jack up the price we'd have to oh just It'd through be the so roof. expensive sure. but other <laughs> colleges in the area accept our credits so yeah. it's it's just and that's because we're right. doing very good academic work i think so um, all of yeah. us have taught at, at institutes of higher education in the right. past so it's not right. like we're just starting to try this out no um yeah i i agree it's it's very it's good quality school in theology apologetics right um Bible inter all of these all of these uh, aspects it's great yeah. and what I like about it teaching there is the students are great like they, they, really wanna, are. they, they really want to be there and I I try to be nice about this but like I've taught at other places mm-hmm. where like everyone goes to school because that's what you're supposed to do right my parents are paying for it they don't even want to be there yeah. <laughs> yeah all the students at MVI they actually picked to go there and want right. to be there you know yeah I explained it to uh, <laughs> we recently added uh, Kyle Powell as uh, one of our profs mm-hmm. and and I explained it to him that, you know, I've taught in traditional institutions and, and, and really respect that and love it and, yeah. and, and still do. Um, and uh, trying to generate discussion in a classroom is sometimes challenging. Yes. At MBI, I have to tell people, okay, no more questions. Yeah, I don't good. have time for any more questions. <laughs> That's very true. Because people are so engaged. It's, yep. it's, it's a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. It's cool to see what God's doing through it, too. And then the, the influence that we're having is training these people, because they're yeah. going out, like you're saying, they're junior high pastors, right. they're high school pastors, they're associates, right. they're all these different stages of life. Um, that's one of the things I appreciate about it too is we have 18 year olds and then we have like 75 year olds. I know, and everyone in between. It's crazy. Yeah, and just whoever the Lord brings. Last <clears throat> semester I taught a course, um, basic Bible teaching. You know, here's how to preach a sermon, and uh, it was wild because the back row of that class there were several people on staff at a church hmm. on the west side of town. Wow, they never awesome. had the opportunity to take a course in that, and mm. so what we were. By, by helping them, by walking them through that course, we're actually strengthening the ministry of churches yep. all over the world. And that's the goal, right? Right. We want to train people who are going to do ministry. Absolutely. Uh, and don't want to go into heinous amounts of debt right? <laughs> for it. Right. If, if any of you want to check it out, if you're in the area, you know, we don't do online courses and things like mm. that. But if you're in the area and you would like to check it out, missionbible.com. We'll right. put the uh, link to it in the show notes and everything. But we'd love to have you in class. Yeah, that'd Brian be great. teaches there. I right. teach there. Our friend Josh Anderson teaches there. Yeah. Doc, Doctor Josh Doctor, Anderson, yeah. my friend Kyle Powell. It's it's a really fun school, right, right. Um, and we talk about issues like this. We talk about apologetics type things. We talk about theology. We talk about hermeneutics. It's just a right. it's a blast. So. It is a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm glad you started the school. Well, I like I like teaching there, but I like to hang out with you too. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> that's always nice. But yeah. yeah, man, we're so thankful for you coming on the show and just oh, thanks man, for having me again. What what are some books if if somebody wants to get mm-hmm. into analytic theology? Yeah. What do they got to check out? Okay, so there are a couple of books um, that I point to 
as uh, good examples mm-hmm. of analytic theology. One is called uh, Hell, the Logic of Damnation by Jerry Walls. That's a scary title, sure. I know. But it is um, it, it, it kind of demonstrates what we're talking about. Okay. Um, and then The Word Enfleshed okay. uh, by Oliver Crisp. Uh, the word enfleshed, E-N-F-L-E-A, yeah, that. Okay. Uh, it's a great book on the incarnation, and I think Oliver is the preeminent analytic theologian. On he's the, the guy, planet, right? right now. Whereas he used to be at Fuller in California, but yeah, now he's... Now he's uh, up in um, Scotland. Okay. I don't want... It's not Aberdeen. It's St. Andrews. He's at St. Andrews okay. in uh, Scotland. And he was actually the reader. Uh, you have an advisor for your dissertation and then a, a reader and a second reader. Oliver was the first reader on my hmm. dissertation. It's been really encouraging about that. That's so awesome. I think those are two. You know, you'll just, just plow through them. They're hard books to read, but they are good examples okay. of what's being done. And I think as Christians, it's, it's, it's good to read hard books. It's good to stretch your mind. Yeah. It's good to try to, to love exercise. God with your mind. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I it's don't not ag- easy. Yeah, and the thing about these books, I, I should say, is I, I don't agree with the conclusions oh, okay. of, of uh, Jerry Walls. Uh, and I agree with most of what Oliver says, but not everything. Okay. But it, they're just good examples. Good examples of how to go about analytic right. theology. So if you're interested in that, yeah, check those out. Jerry Walls, what's the title again? Uh, Hell, the Logic of Damnation. Hell, the Logic of Damnation, and then the word in, f- in flesh. flesh. Oh, I should Oliver also say Chris. this. Can I say one more? Yeah, sure. So t- a guy named Tom... We've got a lot of tape. <laughs> is that the thing? Is there tape? Yeah. <laughs> a, a guy named Tom McCall... Uh, who is uh, on faculty at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, wrote an introduction. So it's called An Invitation to Analytic Christian Theology. Oh, okay. So it's kind of a little intro book. It's pretty good? It's good. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, we'll put the notes, uh, we'll put uh, links to those in the show notes too, so if you want to go check those out. Uh, but I would encourage you, this is a this is a kind of a new area it is. of study. Yeah. Um, really fun to get into. I enjoy it. It's fascinating. So, yeah. well, hey, Brian, thanks so much for being with oh, us on the show today. Oh, thanks for having me, yep. And we want to, once again, draw your attention to the sign. Check out Matthew at secollective.com. And thanks for being with us today. Uh, I hope you've had a great time hearing from one of my friends and a brilliant (laughs) guy who I I truly respect. Um, And again, keep following us and checking out the future shows because we're going to be having more guests on like Brian over the next month. So thanks so much for listening today to Christ, Culture, and Coffee. And we'll catch you guys next week. Thanks for listening to Christ, Culture, and Coffee. If you liked this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to help us reach more people.